Hi, I'm Billy Shore. Welcome to Add Passion and Stir. This is the conversation we'd love to have about food, passion, and making a difference in the world. And we've got two guests today who are representative of all of that. Uh, I'm talking today with Brianna Warner. Uh, I feel like Brianna's a neighbor. She's right down the road. founder and CEO of Atlantic Sea Farms. Uh, I'm in Maine, and I have been since the pandemic uh, in Kennebunkport, and Brianna's in Biddeford. Uh, so very, very close. Welcome, Brianna. Thank you so much for having me, Billy. And it is it is funny to be uh, you know this close to you, and it's it's been so wonderful getting to know you over these past few months. Likewise. And also, uh, we're here with Debbie Gagnon, uh, whose family for 81 years uh, has owned and run Red's Eats in Wiscasset. And uh, Debbie is one of the co-owners. Debbie, I have uh, not been to Red's Eats, but I've driven by it so many times because every summer our family goes for a couple days to uh, Monhegan Island and we cross the bridge in Wiscasset. And the line is always so forbidding because so many people want to be at Red Seats that it's just amazing. But I'm not going to drive by it one more time without stopping and getting something there. Please don't, because number one, I am excited to, I can't wait to feed you. And you know, it never gets old hat. It is those lines, that is so humbling. It truly never gets old hat. And sometimes I can't even wrap my head around, around it, but it's it's just amazing, and I just I just you know I'm grateful every day. I'm just grateful. Well, I know you're both uh, passionate about food. You're passionate about the connection between food and Maine, a state that the three of us love. Uh, I just want to start, and I know our listeners are always interested in this, of just how you each came to be doing what you're doing. Brianna, when we talked, I remember you telling me that you'd been a, a foreign service officer in the State Department for about eight years. Um, and I just start at the beginning. Uh, what's your career path been and how did it end up uh, being at Atlantic Sea Farms and one of the leading, if not the largest, uh, kelp farming business in the United States? Yeah, it, it in fact is. I think last year we grew about 86% of the line-grown seaweed in the United States, and it was all done by Maine fishermen. Uh, so it's a, it's a pretty exciting industry. But I, I always joke with that when people ask me how I got here, I always joke that I wanted to be a seaweed farmer since I was a kid, which of course is not the case. <laughs> um, and I hope that you know the next generation actually does have those aspirations because they can see it in their in the news and in in, in their future. Um, but you know, my my background has always been in looking at figuring out how to solve economic and kind of social issues and. When I was growing up in a community in central Pennsylvania, it was a coal town. Uh, it was incredibly depressed. There was very little hope. There were very few job opportunities. There was very little education. And the community, you know, when you live in a community and, and, and grow up in a community where there's little hope, that feeling is palpable, the feeling of the absence of something that people need in order to continue to thrive. And... I uh, went. I went into the foreign service. Um, I would. It was always my goal, number one, to to get out of that town. Um, but additionally, to figure out, you know, there's there's ways to prevent bad things from happening. And I always thought diplomacy was the way that that would happen. But it, it soon became apparent when I was serving in Libya and South Sudan, Guinea, and several other places that. In fact, the government, the American government, is just a bigger version of what we see in many towns in America. Is that this kind of lack of 
of or this apathy around issues until there is such a catastrophic problem that then they need to be pay attention to. And here on the coast of Maine, where I eventually ended up, my husband's from here. Um, it's absolutely where I wanted to raise a family. When I came back to Maine, there is this sense of hope uh, in our in our state in so many ways, and particularly around the coast. You know, we've seen industries go in and out in the northern part of the state, particularly pulp and paper. Um, there are coastal communities that have seen entire, you know, fish processing plants, uh, you know, f- fish processing operations, fish processing towns just completely dry up of economic activity. But at that same time, what we have seen is a boom in the lobster industry. And it's not a recent boom. It's over the last 30, 30 years or so where we've seen this owner-operator fishery that has been regulated by the fishermen themselves to be created as an owner-operator fishery, where people have determined their own future and they have not overfished the species. And in fact, they've put in regulations on themselves that have created an atmosphere where that population has expanded and where they have created a brooding stock for for the lobsters to move. So the last 10, 10 of the best years in lobster have been in the last 15 and that doesn't show signs of, of stopping because of overfishing. What it does, what there is an issue with, though, is that the Gulf of Maine is warming faster than 98% of oceans in the world. And just a few more deg- degrees and those lobster larvae are not going to survive at the rate that they are now. And we don't know if that's in 10 years or 40 or 50. Um, and certainly recently there has been regulations put in place that has hastened uh, some dramatic change in the lobster industry. But what has been what is really exciting to me when you look out to the coast is there is hope there are people with their own boats there are people who own their own future there are people who've worked on the water for generations and the the question really becomes how do we lean into who we've always been on the coast of maine and how do we we cr- continue to create opportunities for fishermen and fishing communities to take hold of their own future and continue to be on the rot water two or three generations from now and kelp is a part of that answer, and that's the answer that we came up with. Um, but there are many other answers to that question that that still have yet to be solved. And and what we're doing at Atlantic Sea Farms by growing um, kelp in lobstermen's off season with individual owner operator farms operated by fishermen with their boats is is trying to create a proof of concept to prove that the people who work on the water are really the owners of the future of of a different climate. And Brianna, how did you come up with the idea that kelp is the answer? What was kind of the the light bulb moment for you about kelp? Well, it is an answer. Certainly, it is not the the only, but for us, it was the right answer. Um, you know, I'm, my background is in economic development. That's what I went to school for. That's what I did in the Foreign Service. And it, it seemed to me that the fact that 98% of the seaweed that we eat in the United States is imported there's zero traceability around it. Nobody knows where it comes from or who grows it. Much of it has very high heavy metals in it if it's grown in China. Um, and um, it is also one of the fastest growing categories in food over the last 30 years. If you think about the 1980s and early 90s, you know, sushi was really relegated to big cities um, and where there were primarily East Asian populations. But now you can go to anywhere in the United States, including Presque Isle, Maine, and there's sushi in the grocery store. There's seaweed snacks. The largest seller of seaweed is Costco, not Whole Foods. It is a very much a mainline food, particular for millennials and younger, and people are eating it daily. And so the fact that none of that is coming from the United States and none of that is being grown by the people who could be growing it very easily in their off season 
just presented a really tremendous opportunity, coupled with the fact that Maine has more coastline than the state of California, clean, cold waters, and an industrious industry um, that is agile and innovative. So that that was the answer that we kind of saw saw as both a market answer, but also an answer to some resiliency questions along the coast. Well, I, I love this. I want to get Debbie into this conversation. And I love the pairing of the two of you, which you suggested, uh, Brianna, because I think of you as, you know, uh, an entrepreneur creating this kind of, in effect, in, a, in effect, a brand new uh, product from the state of Maine. Uh, and Debbie's family uh, for generations has been uh, creating this tradition of people who stop at Red's Eats. And it's uh, it, it feels like as Maine and as American uh, as can be. And so we've got kind of like the new and the old connected here. You had suggested Debbie for this podcast. And I know from talking to Debbie just a moment ago before we started to record that uh, she's serving your product. Uh, tell me how the two of you met and then let's turn this over to Debbie. You know, Debbie and I have still not met in person. I'm sure we've passed each other a million times, but um, she we, we launched our Sea Veggie Burgers in, in Maine and Debbie was the second to take them on and the biggest proponent. And I think what is so exciting to me is is people often think of, you know, our our seafood shacks and, and service and area in Maine as being like, oh, we serve lobster, we serve corn, that's what we do. And, and Debbie just proves over and over in everything that she does with her business, which has clearly, as you mentioned, it, it's an icon, iconic business in Maine. People come to Maine for going to her place. Um, and instead of kind of resting on their laurels, she was like, and now we serve kelp. And this is a kelp burger. And she was out there, you know, with their sea veggie burger, just hawking it, making sure people were trying it, putting up posters and it was, there is no support, you know, we could be at Blue Hill at Stone Barn, which, which we are, which is great. And, you know, with all due respect to Chef Barber, who's outstanding, what made me tear up and, and feel very emotional was seeing Debbie, you know, in a video walking around, hawking the burgers and getting people to try them and saying, look at this amazing new product that's being grown in Maine by fishermen. And it, it showed just such an acceptance of, you know, what, what is a new industry, but really is something that, that plays on all the heritage and um, history and, and, and tradition we have here in Maine. And it was, and we're just really proud to work with Debbie and her business and, and how innovative and exciting they have been in always, but particularly in this moment, as we get excited about launching something new and showing that this is not you know, kelp isn't a tweezer product in a in a high end restaurant. It's something that everybody can enjoy, and that's where we make a big impact. That's when that's when we fundamentally change the way people eat and and how the climate can be affected by the food that we eat. In the way that fishermen can succeed in this industry, is when is when it, we can get it into everything, and and people are eating it not just in high end restaurants. So Debbie, I want to talk about why you're serving uh, veggie burgers and 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 kelp. At, at Red Seats. But first, I want there's such a rich history uh, to Red Seats, to your families uh, creating it, and you know, you and your siblings uh, being part of it. Just tell us the, the, the Red Seats story from the beginning. Okay, I'll tell you that. But first, I'm, I have to tell you, I'm silently clapping. I'm sitting here with a big smile on my face, applauding you, Brie. I am so proud of you. Congratulations on the Governor's Award. I'm just like, anyway, I just, so proud of you. Um, I am 
Red Seats is truly one of these little family-owned and operated businesses, okay? I have very, very basic principles, but to me, they're very important ones. And, I mean, you have to have empathy. You have to be fussy. I'm so fussy sometimes. People are like, oh, I make myself tired. I'm so fussy. But you have to have empathy. You have to be humble, and you have to be grateful. And those are the things that are really, really important to me. But Dad, Redsies has been in business for 84 years. My dad bought it. Wow, I said 81. It's 84 now. Incredible. Right. Dad bought it in 77. I remember it was defunct and it had been for sale for at least a couple of years. And I remember the local merchants asking my father, they'd say, Al, why do you want to buy Redsies? Really? And he says, you know what? I'm going to turn it around. And he did, but it took a number of years. I'm not kidding you. We used to play cribbage in the window waiting for guests, okay? <laughs> I call my customers. I don't call them customers. I call them guests because to me, they are my guests. But we would play cribbage waiting for them. But Dad stayed true to what he believed in. And he was a man. I wish you could know him. He was he was charismatic. He was gregarious. He was He was like Elvis. Everybody just wanted to be around him. But he was true to what he believed in. And so many people always ask, what is the secret? Why? And and dad would always say, you know, there's really no secret. You give people the freshest food you can. You give them plenty of it and they'll be back. And there's one thing dad always used to say, and I love this, but he would say, he used to call me Bub. He says, you know what, Bub? You can feed anyone once, anyone, but you feed them twice and you're doing something right. So, and I like to think we, I like to think we keep doing it right at Reds because I am really, really fussy. I really, really love local. And when Zoe reached out to me. And and so tell us who Zoe is. Uh, Zoe works um, with Brie, works for Brianna. And she reached out to me um, and asked me if I would like to learn more about Atlantic Sea Farms and the veggie burger. And I was like, and when she said, from Maine, I was all over it because I love local. That's what we have to. I love this quote, a rising tide raises all the boats. And I just think we all need to keep doing that. And when I heard, number one, I was so proud of Bree. Here's a woman, okay? It's hard to be in any business. I'm a woman in this, in the hospitality industry and it's tough, but man, I'm so proud of her. And um, when I heard it was main base, I'm like, yes, I want to learn more. But I have to be honest, and I wanted to try it. I really, truly wanted to see what this tasted like because I'll be honest, I wanted it to be delicious. It had to be delicious. And man, oh man, it's delicious. I'm so proud of it. So that's that's how I I became involved with Atlantic Sea Farms. And I'm telling you what, and this is the truth. My staff can have whatever they want for dinner or lunch. And you know what they're asking for? Can I have a sea veggie burger, please? No kidding. <laughs> they are that good. I'm so and, proud to serve them. And, and Deb, just to uh, complete the picture, uh, when somebody's driving down the, that, that main street in Wiscasset headed towards, towards Red Eats, tell, tell us what they see. Just paint us a picture of what, what, what it looks like what you're going to find when you get to Red Seeds. Right, right, right. Um, and once again, I have to say, it's hard for me to some, 
sometimes wrap my head around it. But as I, we open up at 1130 in the morning, we usually close at 11 p.m. at night. When I get to Reds in the morning, there are people that are already standing in line. They have little chairs and they have books or they have their tablets or they have their phones. And they're in line sometimes at 1030 in the morning, sometimes at 10 o'clock. We had someone um, this past season at 830 in the morning sitting there. Now, now you tell me, that's, that's, <laughs> it doesn't get it doesn't make you any prouder than that. And the line wraps all the way down around Red Seats, down the back access road and past the two buildings that are way down. It's it's unbelievable. And it's it's makes me so proud. I just sometimes can't I can't even describe it. So, yeah. And I and what I really appreciate is that so many of these people from all over the country, all over the world tell me that they made their trip to Maine to experience Reds. And then while they're in Maine, they make it back. That's the finest compliment. When you have somebody, a repeat customer, that's the finest compliment. I have this one gentleman. They make a trip to Maine from North Carolina every year. They stay in Maine five days and they visit Reds five days. So, I mean, um, it doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> well, Deb, I was going to ask you, uh, you know, if you're on someone's podcast, do they get a, uh, a tip on how to, you know, kind of get to the front of the line? But it sounds like being in the, li- being in the line is part of the experience. I wouldn't want to miss it after the way you've described it. I, no, I don't want to cut the line. I just want to be there. No, but I truly have to tell you, it's nostalgic. It brings people back to a time. People are standing in line. They actually talk to each other. They aren't looking at their phones. They're talking. We had these two people who met in line, they got married, and now they come every year for their anniversary. And that's the truth. And that is really cool because people meet in line, then they're like, we're going to eat together. Can we sit together? And it's like, they make lifelong friends. So it's nostalgic and it just kind of brings you back. And that's part of what I love. Now, Bree, we've been talking about the, you know, kind of the economic uh, rationale for uh, kelp farming, and we've been talking about how delicious the sea veggie burgers are. Uh, but you, I, I know from talking to you and from actually visiting uh, Atlantic Sea Farms, which is an incredible place to see, uh, that there are also uh, really significant environmental benefits to kelp farming, health benefits uh, to to kelp. It's nutrient dense. It uh, in, improves the quality of the ocean. Tell us a little bit about the other aspects of why this is so important for the coast of Maine or for anywhere else for that matter. We know a few things about terrestrial agriculture that are true almost universally, except in somewhat of the regenerative movement, which is fairly new. But Terrestrial farming, for the most part, as it's done currently, is bad for the environment, it's bad for farmers, and it's bad for people's health. So what about any part of that is something we would want to replicate anywhere else? And I think that we often, we've, we've kind of stopped seeing food as fuel and we've, or sustenance even, but as something that is, that is indulgent and something to kind of indulge on at the expense of so much about the world. And I think we can have that all. We can be indulgent in food while also making the planet better. 
And that's where kelp can come in. It's where oysters comes in. It's where mussels come in. It's where, where line-grown scallops come in. And, and, and in Maine, you know, with the way that we manage our lobster industry, it is also where lobster is. And so I think that there, there are choices that we can be making about our everyday eating habits that, that can make the planet actually better. And in the case of kelp, when you plant kelp, it actually removes carbon and nitrogen from the water column. And what does that mean exactly? So we know there's too much carbon in the air, and it's one of the main contributors to climate change. Well, when that carbon hits our oceans, that ocean immediately absorbs that carbon and it changes the pH of the ocean. And that's what we call ocean acidification. And ocean acidification is fairly new as far as the study of it. And we don't know what where it's going. Um, there are, you know, so many organisms living and existing within the ocean that it's, it's, it, there's so much to study before we understand what its net benefit or, or, or negative will be on the ocean. What we do know is on shell bearing organisms like oysters, mussels, plankton, um, shellfish in general, ocean acidification erodes the shell of those organisms, so think about if you take, you know, a very acidic product like Coca-Cola and you put it on metal. Um, that's basically what the ocean is starting to do to shell-bearing organisms in, in acidified areas. So when you plant kelp, what you're doing is you're removing carbon and nitrogen from that water column when you pull it out of the water. So while it's growing, if you plant mussels within that, we, we, to, to kind of show its effect, we've done several studies with organizations like Bigelow Laboratories and Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute, where we've actually put mussels underneath the halo of the kelp farm, and it's called the, the halo effect. And in, within that halo, in the six-month grow-out period where you grow, see, where you grow the kelp, we're actually making the muscle strength about double as strong in that time. And because that muscle is putting more energy and is, is not having to put as much energy into regrowing its shell, it's actually making bigger muscle meat as well. So not only is it improving the, 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 the shell strength of the muscle, it's improving the nutrient density of the food and more muscle meat, which creates more protein for consumers. And you can eat the kelp which is one of the most nutrient dense foods on the planet. And it's planted with no water, no arable land, um, you know, no, no pesticides, no inputs. You know, mother nature is the kelp farmer. We just put out the seeds, we put out the lines, we put out the moorings, and then we harvest it at the end of the year. Our partner farmers do our fish, our partner farmers that we work with who are fishermen. So we have this kind of net ecosystem service benefit and it makes consumers healthier, and it makes farmers better off, which is the complete opposite of so much that we eat right now. And Bree, uh, you live, breathe, eat kelp 24 seven. Not everybody does, not everybody understands all of the implications that you've described. And I'd be surprised if everybody is as adventurous as Debbie Gagnon in terms of saying like, yes, we want this product. Um, it was just amazing to me to hear her say it. I guess in marketing terms, we would call Debbie an early adopter and a real leader uh, in that sense. What are some of the obstacles you've had to, to overcome? And I'd love, love to hear from Debbie just about uh, how her her guests uh, experience the, the sea veggie sandwich. But start brief by talking about just like, what's it like to market a new product like this? Yeah, we, um, you know, for us, like I said, millennials and younger have don't blink for a second about seaweed. They eat seaweed salad, they eat 
sushi, they eat seaweed snacks. This is not new to them at all. <clears throat> what is new is the product form in which we're giving it and people are excited for it. So, you know, there is a little bit of a generational question there. It's often folks um, that are that are a bit on the younger side who have grown up with seaweed in their lives tend to be much more adventurous around it. And in fact, it's not considered adventurous. It's like, oh, yeah, I eat the seaweed snacks. I mean, my kids, not just because I'm in seaweed, but kids their age have seaweed snacks packed in their lunch all the time and they're five and six. So I think that there is a little bit of a, you know, sort of a sea change, so to speak, uh, within the generations. But additionally, it just has to taste good. And I think more than anything, that is that, you know, to Debbie's point, like if it didn't taste good, it doesn't matter. No one's going to care about the health benefits and the, and the environmental benefits if you don't want to eat it. So we've created lines of products, including our new sea veggie burgers, which are now available in Sprouts and Wegmans and our seaweed, our fermented seaweed salad, which is available in Whole Foods and our kelp cubes, which are available nationwide that are blueberry kelp cubes and cranberry kelp cubes for morning smoothies that really not only taste good, add the nutrient density, but also look pretty on the shelf and and call out to people that they want to eat them. So, Debbie, what, what are you experiencing with your guests? Is it a, a do you have to sell or do they do one bite and they're, you know, they're, they've, they've got it? Well, you know, we eat with our eyes first. That's really important. We do eat with our eyes first. So not only is this a beautiful, colorful burger, and I also call it a cake because I serve it often as an appetizer like you would a crab cake. I actually, you have to remember, if you're excited about it, your guests will be excited about it. And that's one thing I'm constantly training my staff. It's like, you be excited. You're, you're excited. They'll be excited. So I, in introducing, um, when I first put uh, the, and I love the basil pesto, that's my ultimate favorite, sea veggie burgers. I actually bring them out and give all my guests samples. We walk up and down. I do it with, I do it with everything. I, I give them samples of shrimp. I give them samples of whoopie pies and moxie and whatever. But I really, really wanted them to try and get excited about these sea veggie burgers. And I know I've done like three or four videos. I know Bree's seen them because I, I'm, I'm as excited about them as she is. I'm really, really excited. That's what I do. I let them have the opportunity to taste it. They taste it, and your mommy, you wouldn't believe, this is so delicious. Oh, my God, we have to have a kelp kit. I'm just like, uh, but anyway, so I do, I, I pass out samples, and I have, oh, I don't know how many videos I have, and this one gentleman, I'll never forget it, he said, this is not only the best veggie burger I have ever had, it is the best burger I have ever had. And that just made me that, that just made me so excited and so happy. But but I totally, totally agree with Bree. The the younger generation, it's it's the norm for them. So that's another reason that I like to get let's pass out some samples. I want you to experience this because it's amazing. And and then I love it because once they taste it, they're like, Yep, <laughs> I love this. <laughs> well, I was gonna ask each of you about Kind of the, the competition and Debbie, I feel like you have none, <laughs> you know, having driven no, through. We, and we, you know what? we always do. And you know what I always say? There's enough sunshine for everybody to get a tan. You know, <laughs> there's enough sunshine for everybody to get a tan. So. 
Uh, I love that. I love Brie, that. It's uh, true. Has I your mean, she's surrounded by four lobster places, like within five steps of her. And, and so I think that, you know, she's honest when she says that. Yeah, and it's true. And that's what that's what I teach my, you know, I, I, I train my staff too, because they get asked all the time. But it's like, we need to, a rising boat raises all, a right, pardon me, a rising tide raises all the boats. We need to all support each other. And guess what? And we all win. We all win, you know? You're absolutely right. Brie, has your success um, led to the creation of competitors? Are there others looking at what you're doing and saying, we got to get into that business? I mean, as you've yeah, described, I mean, described your distribution, which has increased enormously, even since we last spoke a little while ago, it's incredible. Yeah. We, you know, we, we are in retail, but the vast majority, uh, not the vast majority, but about 50% of our business is in ingredients for other people's products. So we love seeing these products pop up with seaweed because a lot of them have our kelp in them. And our goal, you know, I don't see there being, you know, I don't look at competition as, you know, Atlantic Sea Farms doesn't, you know, has someone competing next to it in the retail location. Um, my whole goal with everything I do is how many, how much can we do to get more farmers in the water and being more successful on the water and having more money driving back to Maine fishermen with more of them. Um, and that's going to mean building the market in a, in a bunch of different ways, ingredient, food service, retail. We supply kelp to several restaurants, fast casual chains, to nutraceuticals companies, to bioplastic companies, to biotextiles who are making products with seaweed. We don't, you know, we're agnostic about where it goes as long as it goes. So then I can get more farmers in. So, you know, the, the competition that I worry about is, you know, people who are doing um, farming that doesn't meet the ethics that we think it should or doesn't lean into the incredible value of coastal communities who who really should be benefiting most from this industry. Um, but, you know, for the most part, we're, we're excited to talk to anyone and everyone who is interested in putting kelp in their products. And even if that means they're right next to ours in the grocery store. Uh, no, Go ahead, Deb. Sorry. The Atlantic Sea Farms, the harvesters are our local lobstermen and women. This is what I love. It supplements their income. So it's it's not, she's not just about her. It is about, it's, it really is a, a, a beautiful circle, and it's really helping our local lobstermen and women. And I love that, Brie. It's awesome. And how did they first react? I mean, either one of you can jump in here. When you went to talk to lobster men and women about, okay, here's something when you're done lobstering, here's a, a, di a different type of farming that you can be doing. Uh, there must have been some skepticism or wide eyes or kind of like, wait, what? <laughs> Tell me more. Well, I had been at that time working with the lobster industry for for about six years. And, and as Debbie knows um, the only thing that matters in the lobster industry is integrity. And if you have that, then you get a lot of leeway. And I was working with the lobster industry at an organization called the Island Institute, looking at ways for fishing communities to diversify in the face of climate change. I was their economic de de development director when I moved back to, to Maine or when I moved to Maine. And so the question to people when I started that programming was, you know, how, aquaculture in general, whether it's mussels, seaweed, uh, oysters, um, you know, scallops, aquaculture felt like a way for people to use their skill set and diversify when, in, when there's a lack of wild fisheries to diversify into. 
So one, there's several different zones in lobsters. And I had a leader, you know, a real leader, truly respected person from each zone and invited them down to my house and said, I'm just going to shuck a bunch of oysters until we come up with an answer to this question, which is how do we get fishermen involved in aquaculture? This was about seven or eight years ago. And at the time, I think there was about two fishermen with, with aquaculture leases and they were both pretty small. And, you know, I'm on oyster number two and I'm not a great shucker to be fair, uh, but I'm on about oyster number two. And one of them says, just have them make money. And I was like, well, what, you know, how do you do that? Like, well, just, you know, have there be a model where someone makes money and then everyone else will watch and then they'll do it, make it viable. And so I started working with people to get into their own muscle farms and their oyster farms. But with seaweed, it just felt like that's not something you can do on your own. You know, people aren't going to buy seaweed just off the farm. There needs to be processing. There needs to be seed. There's a whole hatchery element that wasn't developed on how to, how to plant seeds. Um, there needs to be marketing and sales. And, and so we kind of were like, if you, if you can't find it, you have to make it. And so while everyone wanted to go into seaweed, there wasn't really an option for them to, to, to sell to. And fishermen are really good at fishing and being on the water, but, you know, they're probably not going to be top notch at a branding agency on <laughs> marketing international kelp products. So um, I was, I, we started a fund to invest in a company that was doing um, kelp aquaculture. And I was asked to take over as CEO of that company about a year after that. And that's when we were able to really catalyze this idea. And so I asked some of the guys who knew me really well and said, hey, just give this a chance. We'll give you free seed to mitigate that risk. And then we guarantee to buy everything that you grow here. I'll sign a contract that says no matter what, even if I have no idea where it's going, I will buy it from you. And, and so, is, that, is that guarantee still in place? It is. Oh, my God. It's, it's ironclad. If I change that now, I would be dead in the water. Um so, yeah, we had three people, and now we're up to 32, including two in Rhode Island and one in Alaska, um, where, you know, we basically, uh, what happened is guys saw what other folks were doing. They saw that they, there was someone landing bags of seaweed that they grew out in the, on a farm in the middle of the winter. Uh, in April, there's not a lot to do in these coastal communities. The people want to go fishing, but the lobsters aren't in yet. And that's when we're landing kelp, and they see people getting checks on the dock. And watch it go away on a on a eighteen wheeler, and I think that's really inspiring to people. So right now we have one hundred and sixty more acres and twelve additional people under lease review with the Department of Marine Resources, who gives the leases. And it's it's pretty amazing to see how exciting, how excited people are, and how much they're seeing this as a potential income source to kind of absorb some of the shock of the volatility of the industry. So at first, yes, people, we took a few people to trust me and to believe me. And then when word got around that we actually did what we said we would do, even after COVID, when we had nowhere to sell it, when there was no food service and we sent out an email saying, there's a lot to worry about, but don't worry about us picking up. We'll be there. And that email made its way, its circuit around all fishermen and over the radios. And, and here we are four years later and, and people know we do what we say we're going to do. Uh, it's an incredible story and still such a, a very young company. Uh, tell us as we uh, start to wrap up here, what's next for each of you? You're both adventurers. You're both risk takers. Um, what does the future hold for Red Zeets and what's the future hold for Atlantic Sea Farms? I think the hardest thing for me and the most, the thing that made me, kept me up at night 
was knowing I could earn my guests' trust. Now, people were in their homes. They didn't want to go out. They didn't dare to go out. They were scared. Who was going to want to go out for a restaurant, let alone a takeout restaurant? Who was going to want to go out to eat? And all these wonderful businesses were shutting down forever. And that makes me so sad. So that was such that was such a challenge. But I, I, I feel so happy that I, you know, grateful. We're once again, hashtag grateful um, that we made it through that. So that being said, I really want to get that commercial kitchen going and to be shipping my lobster roll kits and to have a kelp kit to go along with it, Brie. <laughs> I want to have a kelp aioli. Oh, that would be so fun. Let's work on something. Or a kelp cake or kelp bread, like like zucchini bread. I want a kelp kit. Sounds great. Yeah, I'm just... You can do some kelp butter in there. Right, and it's all Maine. Think about it. I want Maine. I want my lobster roll. I want a kelp kit. I want a whoopie pie. I want a moxie. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) That all sounds pretty good. Brie, what's next for Atlantic Sea Farms and for you? Uh, And I I think something that Debbie just hit on yesterday, we were just, um, the award that that Debbie mentioned was um, the Heritage uh, Award for Business Excellence from the governor. And the fact that kelp was considered as a heritage industry was the biggest compliment we could have gotten from that. Um, Cause you're right. Like a, a, a moxie and a whoopie pie and a lobster roll. And we would love to count kelp for Maine as one of those things that people think of when they come here. Um, because we are, Maine is the leader in seaweed aquaculture in, in the country, in the Western hemisphere right now. Um, so, you know, what's next for Atlantic sea farms is we, we want to try to build this out and get, kelp in every restaurant that we possibly can, whether it's the sea veggie burgers or our kelp powder or our shredded blanched kelp. Um, We want to have it all over fast casuals. We want everyone to be eating it. You know, I would love to look at a future where, you know, you go to fill up your burrito at Chipotle and there's shredded kelp and things. You go to, um, you know, your, your local Burger King and you can get a sea veggie burger, you know, because that's, is that going to happen tomorrow? No. But once we hit that, that means there's an army of independent owner operator farmers out there producing that kelp and making a living for their family on the water that's making the planet better and people healthier and that's the future i want to see mm. because when people think of maine they think of lobsters they think of blueberries and i want them to think of kelp too yeah <laughs> totally it's delicious and it's good for you and you can't go wrong <laughs> and Absolutely. i love something i've heard you say brie uh several times in the past, which is that good food should do good. And that's just seems to really sum up exactly what you've been about. Um, last question, Brie, can you think of any reason why you and your husband and me and my wife would not get in the car and drive up to Wiscasset uh, sometime early next summer and spend some time with Deb? I think that sounds great. The only reason I can think of right now is that they're not open. But you know, as soon as they open, we should we should hit it on opening day next year, Billy. I think it's oh I goodness. think it's a field trip for our families. Can I, I say love I it? That's a great I idea. To, I can't wait to feed you. <laughs> and Deb, Absolutely. Deb, tell us when opening day is again. It'll be mid-April. I haven't picked a, but it's usually mid-April when the kid when they they have their April vacation is usually usually when I open up. Mm-hmm. All right, that feels like that feels like right around the corner. I think we can wait that long. thank you so much thank you so Uh, much i I, want to thank you so much this has been a terrific conversation i'm really excited about what the future holds and the impact that both of you are having on uh this state of maine that we 
uh, three of us, uh, all three of us love so much. So we've been talking with Brianna Warner, uh, the CEO of Atlantic Sea Farms and Deb Gagnon, uh, whose family for 84 years, I said 81 earlier, but for 84 years uh, has owned uh, Red's Eats in Wiscasset. Um, I think uh, all of our listeners will get to know both of them uh, better as time goes on. And I'm really grateful to have you on at Passion and Stir. Uh, thanks so much to both of you. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you, you for having us on. Please visit adpassionandstir.com. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Share Ad Passion and Stir with a friend and rate the show so that others can find it. Ad Passion and Stir is produced by Paul Woody Whittle's team at District Productive and Johanna Weber of Pop and Awe with support from our team at Share Our Strength in the No Kid Hungry campaign. They include Debbie Shore, Pamela Taylor, Megan Cantrell, and Kelly Griffin. We'll be back in two weeks with more stories of individuals sharing their strength to make a difference in the world. Until then, thanks so much for listening.